Good morning. I want to welcome everybody to Southwinds this morning. So good uh, to have you all here as we are continuing to study God's Word together, learning together about what it means to be an unstoppable church. And I want to start this morning with a question, and it's this. What do you think is the most dangerous object in your home? Uh, Larry Lawton, the University of Hawaii professor, has written a book about risk, and he, he devotes an entire chapter uh, to risks in your home. And some of them are risks you might expect, like 460,000 people a year get injured by kitchen knives. Uh, 100,000 people every year get injured by power tools. I'm 100,000 people. That, that's why I don't keep stuff like that in my house. Um, some items surprise me, like draperies. Every year, 20 people in America strangle to death on drapery cords. I wouldn't have guessed that. Also, every year, 4,000 of us get seriously injured um, by our pillows. I don't know how that happens, but evidently for some people, pillows can be dangerous. So right now, just why don't you turn to the person next to you, and you just tell them your best guess. What do you think is the most dangerous object in your home. Just take a minute real quick. Take a shot. Okay, lots of, lots of opinions, lots of ideas. I want to show you now what I think is the most dangerous object in your home. This is an easy chair. And we do not, as you can tell from this picture, we do not buy these chairs for their beauty. <laughs> uh, we just buy them for comfort, I mean. And anyone who's seen these chairs, I think you already know what is the name of the most popular easy chair sold in America. Can you just say it out loud? Lazy boy. Lazy boy. Not risky boy. <laughs> not worker boy. Lazy boy. Lazy boy. See, we buy these chairs so that we can be immersed in comfort. And when we sit in these chairs, we have like special shoes or real soft slippers that we put on. And, and then when we sit in these chairs, we eat a special food that, that we can eat in this comfortable setting. And we call that comfort food, right? We call it comfort food because we want to be comfortable in those chairs. And we don't just sit in those chairs. We have to watch TV in those chairs, right? Now, some of you have been around long enough, you know that in the old days, you actually had to get up out of the chair and go over to the TV to change the channel. But it was a good day, wasn't it, when God invented the remote control, <laughs> and we could change our channels from the chair as God intended. And we get so dependent on those remote controls, actually, I mean, if you want to see something ugly happening around your house, just lose the remote, see what happens. In fact, I'm not making this up. A few years ago, um, they invented a new kind of remote where if you like clap your hands, if you lose it, it beeps and you can find it. So you don't have to go for any length of time without knowing where the remote is. It starts making that noise so you can find it. And, you know, as your pastor, I'm kind of troubled in my spirit right now because I know that the only thing some of you are going to get out of this message today is where can I get one of those remotes the pastor was talking about? <laughs> Well, here's a question, serious question. When you sit in this chair, are you usually ready to spring into action? When you sit in this chair, are you alert 
to needs that are around you. When you sit in this chair and God asks you to do something difficult, how likely are you going to be to say yes? You know what I think is dangerous about this chair? It's actually not what you do in the chair. It's what you don't do in the chair. That's what's dangerous. It's the relationships that never get deepened. It's the people you never serve because you never even see them. It's the service you never offer to the Lord. So this talk this morning, as you have seen, is called Serve Selflessly. And at Southwinds, we really do believe that service is an integral part of what it means uh, to follow Christ, what it means to be his church. And we believe this because if we are followers of Jesus, the greatest servant of all, then we must be servants. Serving should just be our lifestyle. It should be something we do reflexively, almost unconsciously, because it's just part of who we are. People should be able to look at us and just think, servant, servant. See, if we don't serve, if we just stay in that easy chair, in our lazy boys, this temptation we all have to seek our comfort, to think that church is really about meeting my needs, that will keep us from being the unstoppable church that God is calling us to be. I really do believe that unless we are serving intentionally, it's a habit of our lives that we're practicing regularly, we will never be an unstoppable church. We will never have any lasting impact on our families, in our neighborhoods, in the cities in which we live, Tracy, Mountain House, and Lathrop. And I also believe that almost everyone here probably doesn't want that to happen. I believe that all of you want your lives to count, that you want to give your lives to something larger than yourself, to something of significance, to something that's going to last beyond you, last for eternity. And that leads to the question, then, why don't we many times? I got something off the Internet, which, as you know, is the source of all wisdom in this world, um, And it gave one answer to this question. I've actually shared this before, but it's been a while, and I know some of you hadn't heard it. Uh, You know that that little poem? You've all seen it, Footprints in the Sand. It's the one that tells the story of this guy. He had a dream uh, where he saw his whole life in terms of a walk down the beach. And if you remember it, it was this story about there's two sets of footprints in the sand. And one was his, and one was God's. And then there were some places along the journey where there was just one set of footprints. And so he he turns to God in this dream and he says, where were you when I needed you most? And God says very tenderly that those were the times that God carried him. And, you know, the first time you hear it, you kind of go, ah, that's really nice. Second time you hear it, if you're a guy, you go, eh. Third time you hear it, probably again if you're a guy, so ladies don't listen to me. I mean, I don't want to offend anybody, but, you know, if you're a guy, third time you hear it, you're kind of going, ah, it makes me a little gaggy. Um, I'm not sure that I like this anymore. And so it kind of needs some freshening up. Don't you think some of you agree with it? It could use some freshening up. And somebody did that. I actually have the brand new version for you. I want to see if you like it. Are you ready? So here's the new version. One night I had a wondrous dream. One set of footprints there was seen, the footprints of my precious Lord, but mine were not along the shore. But then some stranger prints appeared, and I asked the Lord, what have we here? These prints are large and round and neat, but Lord, they are too big for feet. My child, he said in somber tones, 
for miles, I carried you alone. I challenged you to walk in faith, but you refused and made me wait. You disobeyed. You would not grow. The walk of faith you would not know. So I got tired. I got fed up. And there I dropped you on your butt. (laughs) Because in life there comes a time when one must fight and one must climb, when one must rise and take a stand or leave their butt prints in the sand. (laughs) You like that one? I kind of don't think that's going to show up on a plaque anywhere anytime soon. But what if uh, it's a little closer to the truth than we might want it to be? What if that's how our lives look sometimes from an eternal perspective? And if that is the case, then how do we not live a life like that? You know how some messages are like uplifting and they're filled with hope and you're so glad you came and you walk away with a sense of peace? Actually, today's message probably won't quite be like that. Um, This is not one of those messages. I want to let you know up front. And it's kind of an interesting thing. Whenever Jesus taught on this subject, he got right in people's faces. Have you ever noticed that? When Jesus talked about following him, he said, if you want to follow me, you have to die. He said, if you want to follow me, You have to die to yourself and you have to serve. You have to become a servant like I am. And people always had to decide, do I really want to follow this man or not? So this is going to be a real simple message. I want to talk to you this morning about why you need to build selfless service into your life. I want to talk to you about why serving really is, as Jesus said it was, the very best way to live. And I want to talk to you about why, if you do not serve, you choose not to serve, you will miss out in your life on so much joy. So, three actions, real simply, three actions that I can take to grow as a servant. Here's the first one, and you can write this down in your message notes. I must develop the gifts God has given me. Now, to do this, I first have to recognize that God has given me spiritual gifts. And uh, do, you, do you know, if you haven't heard before, the Bible teaches that every Christ follower has at least one spiritual gift. I want you to write this down. I have a spiritual gift. And as you're writing it down, I'd just like you to say out loud with me, I have a spiritual gift. So would you just say that? I have a spiritual gift. If you know Jesus, this is true of you. Romans 12, verses 4 through 6 says, Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. So we're all different parts of Christ's body. We, we talked about that last week. We all have different roles to play. And to fulfill those roles, God has given us, by his grace, different gifts with which to serve him and serve his body. Now look at the, this next verse, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. It says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us as a means of helping the entire church. And the idea here is that when you choose to become a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside you. You have certain abilities, certain strengths, and motivations that God has hardwired into you. And the Holy Spirit comes and he activates and energizes those in a supernatural way with the purpose of serving others, building up the church. And this is so very important because 
one of the most common reasons that people give for not serving boils down to something like this. Well, I'm not really qualified. I don't think I have anything special to offer. I'm not like a spiritual giant. And I have a question about those kind of thoughts. Have you ever read about the kind of people God uses in the Bible? Now, Rick Warren writes about this in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, and this is kind of a, like a modified list of actual people that, that God uses in the Bible. Uh, Abraham was on Medicare. Moses had a speech impediment. Joseph was abused. Rahab had a history of sexual misbehavior. David was a homicidal adulterer. Elijah was bipolar. He outran a chariot for miles one day, and he was suicidal the next. John the Baptist ate bugs. Thomas doubted, Gideon panicked, Martha obsessed over housekeeping and food preparation. That's Martha in the Bible, not Martha Stewart, just to be clear. Um, Jonah was directionally challenged, Samson was relationally challenged, Zacchaeus was vertically challenged, integrity challenged, and he worked for the IRS, so nobody liked him. Jeremiah said he was too young, Sarah said she was too old, the Samaritan woman had several failed marriages. Paul the Apostle, well, he was not exactly Dale Carnegie in the tact department. And then Peter, the rock. Well, he was a poster boy for SADD, that is spiritual attention deficit disorder. I mean, these are the people through whom God changed the world. And so here's the question, serious question. What's your excuse? What's your excuse I mean, anyone in the Bible could have said no to serving because they felt inadequate. And just think about what they would have missed. I love this quote from Eugene Peterson. A ruthless honesty will always leave us shattered by our inadequacy for God's work. But this is not about what you or I can do. I want you to notice in these next verses how Paul keeps coming back to God as he talks about gifts. This is 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6. He says, now there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but it is the same Holy Spirit who is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service in the church, but it is the same Lord, this is Jesus, we are serving. There are different ways God works, this is the Father in our lives, but it is the same God who does the work through all of us. See, this is about what God can do through us. And this is why this concept of spiritual gifts is so very important. I mean, a lot of people don't understand this about church. God's plan for the church was never to be one more volunteer organization where people serve out of manipulation or coercion or guilt or pressure or because they just get nagged into it. See, a lot of churches kind of work that way. They build their opportunities for service on a principle sort of filling slots, and they try to plug everybody into their slot. And I want you to know that's not the way we want to do it here. We try not to do that here. It is our desire that each person under God's leadership discover their giftings, their shape, and then they develop those things by using them in service to others. See, God created this community, the church, And then God came up with this amazing idea of spiritual gifts, and he gives those gifts to every Christ follower, and that includes you, and this is God's plan for unleashing his community. Everyone has a part to play, everyone. 
I mean, God's plan is for the church to be led by leaders, administered by administrators, that people who suffer would be comforted by people with gifts of mercy, that people who are isolated would be included by people with gifts of shepherding, that those outside the church would be welcomed by people with gifts of hospitality, that people who need to learn will be taught by, by teachers. See, when you serve in your area of giftedness, you are making yourself available to God to work through you in supernatural ways. And when you do that, God will respond and he will do something in you and you will recognize that you could never have done that on your own. And that happens, your faith gets built up in ways that would never be built up otherwise. I want to tell you that if you miss out on this by not serving, you will miss out on part of the reason that God created you, that you exist. Maybe you're wondering, well, how do you develop the gift? And I, I can't go into the detail on this today, but I can say that we have a class that we teach throughout the year called Discovery 301. It'll be coming up again this fall. I would encourage you to take that class. It's subtitled Discovery My Ministry, and we give a lot of extensive teaching on that. But the good news is you don't have to wait until that. The good news is the most important thing you can do could start today and it's two words, start serving. Just start serving. Just, just try things and see how God works in your life, and you will just soon discover where and how you are gifted. You see, the truth is there are no spiritual giants. Really, there are just people sitting in lazy boys and people serving. And when you serve, you will get to know the joy of developing the gift God has given you and then offering it back to him. Isn't that something you want in your life? Here's the second truth. You need to decide to put others first. Decide to put others first. See, to do this, you have to make a decision. And it is a hard decision. It's a, an unnatural decision for us. We have to put others first. I, I have to choose to get out of the lazy boy. And I will never really serve until I do. I want you to notice what Paul says in Philippians 2, this is verses 3 through 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And here's my question. How do these two verses describe your life? How accurately does your life line up with these verses? Just think about it. How often do you do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit? How often do you, in humility, consider others better than yourself? How often in your life, be honest with yourself, do you look to the interests of others first? I mean, is there any way that anyone could look at you and call this sort of thing a habit, a practice in your life? I mean, when people look at you, do they think of someone who, who puts themselves first or others first? Do they think of someone who considers others better than themselves or themselves better than others? See, Paul here is really pointing out a reality that all of us, all of us tend to put ourselves first. It's natural for us, but it's not Christ-like. And he is saying that Christ followers should be different than the world. Are you different than the world? Do you live in a way where others are put first? A couple of years ago, I heard a, a true story about a Bay Area Christ follower who had this unusual 
uh, airplane conversation. He got on this plane, and as he was making his way through first class, he could tell by the conversations, the laptops that were open, that the people sitting in first class were pretty much all working for the same company. And he noticed they were having a great time, just talking to each other. He made his way back to his seat in coach and took his seat and sat down next to a guy. And he noticed very quickly that this guy actually worked for the same company of all those people up in first class. And he asked this guy, doesn't it make you a little mad that all these people who work for the same company as you, they're sitting up in first class and you're stuck back here in coach? He said, how'd that happen? And the man answered, well, it's very simple. I, I own the company. And then he explained that he had inherited the company from his father. And when he took over, he discovered that everyone was giving him a cold salt shoulder. And he asked why. He found out that his father had treated everyone else like gophers. He got the best. They got what was left over. He gave the orders. They just took the orders. And so this son decided he was going to do it differently. He was the owner, but he would devote himself to their flourishing. He would serve rather than be served. And one of the things that he decided was that though he was the owner, he would fly, fly coach so they could fly first class. This Christ follower, as he talked to him and reflected on the conversation, said, I think that guy was the happiest guy on the plane. He said, think how different his funeral will be from his dad's. See, when your life is over, what's really going to matter is the people you served along the way. You know, I've been a pastor for over 30 years, and I just have to tell you, I have never yet met anyone who regretted a life of service. I've never met anyone who came to the end of their life, and I've been there more than once, I've never met anyone in a moment like that who reflected back on a life of service and said, you know, I really wished that I'd watched a lot more TV. Never met anyone like that. I wonder if this is any one of you here. Do you ever look around Southwinds and you wonder why something isn't getting done? Or maybe you see it getting done and you wonder why is it getting done very well? Have you ever said anything about that to anyone? I know you have it, but there's somebody in your row probably they did. Maybe you've complained a little bit about it. See, here's my real question. Has it ever occurred to you that maybe when you notice something like that and that occurs to you, maybe that means that God is asking you to do something about it? That what God is having you notice is because he wants you to respond. He wants you to give. He wants you to serve. See, every single one of us should not only serve where we're gifted, but also just serve where we're needed, where we're needed. Uh, I mentioned our 301 class, and one of the things we talk about in that class is that the Bible teaches that we are to serve according to our spiritual gifts. But in that, we, we talk about something, a concept that we call primary and secondary ministries. And we believe that our primary area of serving should be where we're gifted. This is where we're going to spend the bulk of our energies, the bulk of our time and our service, where we're gifted. But we also believe that all of us need to serve in some areas where we may not particularly like to serve or we may not be gifted to serve, but those areas are needed. You understand there are always things that need to be done 
and someone has to do them, and often they're not a lot of fun to do. I mean, the illustration I use the most of this has to do with some of the things that happen over in our, our nursery, particularly this one thing that happens over there um, every Sunday, and that is just to be plain speaking the fact that diapers, poopy diapers, need to get changed. Now, just real simple question, honest question, really, I just want to know. I mean, you know, I'm your pastor, but does anyone here have the gift, the spiritual gift of changing poopy diapers? I just, <laughs> just curious. You know, some of you are better at it than others, but it's not a spiritual gift, is it? But here's the other question. Do we all agree that something needs to be done about poopy diapers? And all God's people said, yeah. Um, are, are we all glad that they're over there and they're not here right now? I mean, that's just one illustration. You could make a lot of them. There's lots of things just like that. You have to serve because something is needed, not because you're gifted to do it. And this is where putting others first comes in. If you don't do this, don't put others first. You're going to miss out. And I will say it, some of you, I don't know who you are maybe, but some of you are missing out on joy every week because you're choosing not to serve. You're missing out on joy. You're, you're coming here and you're too wrapped up in your own problems, your own agenda. You're too worried about the challenges you face. The truth is you're kind of sitting in a lazy boy and you need to put others first. I mean, how different would this place be if everyone did that? A lot of you do, and that's why this is a great church. But how different would we be if everyone was doing that? Could you imagine a community? I mean, what would it be like where no one is seeking to be out front, where, where no one is pursuing their own agenda first, where everyone is learning about their gifts and developing their gifts and growing in their gifts and using their gifts to serve? I mean, that's a beautiful thing when that happens. When we serve, lives get transformed. When we serve, God gets glorified. When we serve, we get filled with joy. Amen? Final action, number three, define my life by my servanthood. Now, I mention this because we will not stay faithful as servants for long until we begin to define our lives. That is, to define our significance, to define ser uh, um, greatness by our servanthood. And this is just not the way the world thinks. We have to, in God's kingdom, in God's church, among God's people, build a different culture, an alternate culture, because we live in a world that's just obsessed with celebrity. Now, this is the 21st century American form of this problem, but this problem has always been with human beings. Human beings have always been this way because human nature has always been this way. Jesus' followers, we see it in the Gospels, were just like this. They were regularly elbowing, jockeying, trying to get in front, trying to see who would be the favorite, trying to see who would be the star. And I think one of the most powerful stories in the Gospels is that story that actually happened where two of Jesus' followers, James and John, were arguing about who is the greatest. I kind of think it's a funny story in some ways because these two men get their mommy to go to Jesus and kind of ask if little Jimmy and Johnny you know, could have the special seats, could sit on either side of Jesus. 
And, and this happens, if you read the Gospels and you put it in context, you see this is happening as Jesus is heading closer and closer toward the cross where he's going to die. But they're worried about where they're going to sit. And I kind of picture Jesus shaking his head. There was a great New Testament scholar who said that the single hardest lesson Jesus had to teach his followers was this. God defines greatness in terms of servanthood. Jesus would say remarkable things like this, things that still grip us 2,000 years later. Mark 10, 42 to 45. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. And in the Greek text, those words are blunt, forceful. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The greatest is a slave. This is life in the kingdom of God. That's what the king, King Jesus says. And you know how the king lived? Not too long after this incident, the king, Jesus, took off his robe and got down on his knees and grabbed a basin of water and began to wash his disciples' feet. And it was the most menial thing that anyone could do. And I was thinking about that this week because sometimes in churches these days, people have foot washing ceremonies and they move us, don't they? I mean, they, they're, they're very powerful to see that. But here's the thing that we should know whenever this happens today, and I don't want to diminish those those ceremonies or those actions today, but you just should keep it in context and you just should compare it to what happened with Jesus. If you wash someone's feet today, there's a real good chance that they took a shower and they washed their feet that morning. Right? I mean, there's some of you, I, you know. <laughs> but most of you... You like took a shower, you used soap, you scrubbed your feet just a few hours before. It was not like that at all in any way in Jesus' day. I don't know if you know this, but they walked around in open-toed shoes, sandals. And it wasn't just dirt that they were walking around in back then. They didn't have sewer systems. Stuff happened. Do I, do I really need to go into detail? Stuff happened right where everybody walked. And so you got stuff. Do I need to explain myself any further? On your feet. It means that if you were washing someone's feet in Jesus' day, you would have experienced that as gross and disgusting and detestable. So very different than how we would do it today. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus demonstrated. That's how Jesus showed what it meant to be the greatest of all. And this is what people missed and never understood about Jesus. They never, they never thought that Messiah, God's son, the king, would come as a servant. You see, at its core, this business of spiritual gifts is not about us feeling fulfilled. 
It's not about fundamentally us impressing other people with our gifts. It's about following Jesus, doing what Jesus did, becoming like Jesus with our lives. And this only happens when people fall in love with Jesus and start to walk closely with Jesus and learn to be like Jesus. And then they decide, okay, Lord, as best I can, and with your help and strength, I'm going to do the things that you did. I'm going to live like you. And when you do that, he will help you. And I am just telling you, this is what makes families and churches and marriages great because community is always built on servanthood. And we've all heard that before, and we all kind of nod our heads about that, but we don't always get it, do we? We don't think that way. I have kind of an example of that little simple test, and I want to ask you a question. And this is just up to you to answer. If you want to write it down, you can so you can reflect on it. But it's really for you just to think about yourself. And you need to, you need to respond with your first reflexive answer. Here's the question. If you could be anyone in the world, who would you choose to be? How would you answer that question? And I'm going to tell you in general, here's how most all of us would answer that question. Most of us would choose people who fit into the general cultural category of celebrity. We might pick an actor. We might pick an athlete. We might pick a famous, wealthy business person. We will almost invariably pick someone we see as more beautiful, more talented, more powerful, more wealthy than we are. I doubt very seriously that someone thinks, I want to be like a janitor at an elementary school in North Dakota. Or I want to work as a day laborer in some impoverished country in Africa or Asia or South America. That's not what we think about, right? I mean, be honest with yourself. In other words, we don't define greatness typically in terms of servanthood. But Jesus did, and so should we. I want to give you another reason. It is only when you build this habit of serving God and others into your life will you know the joy of doing and being what is great in God's eyes. What God says really matters. Jesus said, very familiar words, you know these words, that one day every person will stand before God. And one day when that happens, God is going to say to some people, like you and me, these familiar words, well done, good and faithful servant. But we will never know that joy unless we build into our lives this habit of serving. Let me say it again. Community is built on servanthood. It is what makes a community great. And I hope as we're talking about this right now that you'll give me your attention these last few moments because I want to talk to each of you in some specific ways. I want to address how this would apply to different ones of us in different parts of our life. And there are some of you, many of you, who are doing what we're talking about this morning. Some of you know this joy of discovering your spiritual gift and learning to use it in a lifestyle of servanthood. And you are the people who make Southlands what it is. And you've done it by serving. And if that's you, then I want to say to you, I hope that you feel God's deep delight in what you do. And I want to say personally, thank you 
for serving, we would not be here. We would not be the church that God has made us to be if some people didn't say, I will serve. And God says that is great. Now, there are some of you here today, and you're in a different place. You're in a a seeking mode spiritually, and maybe you haven't even made a commitment to Christ. Maybe you're not even sure you believe this stuff that we talk about here at church. And so I want to say to you, your job right now is to keep seeking, keep asking questions. There are some of you, and you're in a crisis mode right now. Maybe you've been through a deep loss. You've experienced something traumatic. Maybe right now this for you is a season where you need healing. You need the ministry of being served. And if that's you, I hope we will be that kind of place for you. But there are some of us who have committed our lives to God and received salvation, uh, his grace and his mercy. We know that Jesus died on a cross for our sins. We've welcomed that gift into our lives. We have promised to follow Christ with our lives. The Holy Spirit is with us. We have spiritual gifts. God has given us the Bible, his word, so that we can read and study and we can learn. He has given us this church where there is a community around us that we can develop in and be shaped in and we can serve in. And all of this has been given to you. But the truth of the matter really is this. You are sitting here right now and you're not serving. Or maybe you're serving, but you have a bad attitude about it. There's no joy. Maybe the truth about you is that you're kind of sitting in a lazy boy and you're seeking your comfort. You're wondering how you can get your needs met. Maybe you're one of those who sometimes we encounter, you like to point out all the weaknesses of the church, all the ways that the rest of us aren't meeting your needs. If this happens to be you, I want to say this, but I want to say it in love, and I want to say it as plainly as I can. It's time to get out of the chair. It's time. See, this is what God is calling you to right now. And I hope you will be open to this call. I hope that you will not spend your life in the chair because it will damage you. It will damage your faith. It will damage your spirit. You will turn into a passive spectator. It will make you think more and more about yourself, that that's what life is all about. And it will damage this community if you stay in the chair. Because when people refuse to live as servants, it always damages community. And again, if you're still thinking that, you know, that, that we don't need you around here, then you have misunderstood what Jesus says life in this community is about. Alongside of that, I want to address something that probably some of us are thinking, because we live in this kind of crazy culture where we're so busy right now, and we have a special version of it here in Tracy. You know those things they put on the internet sometimes that say 40 ways, 50 ways, this or that, 40 best, 50 worst, something like that, and they, they set it up so you have to, if you want to know, you got to click on each one, one at a time to see what, you know, what's the number one thing. Well, a few months ago, I saw one of those things, and it said 50 worst cities for commuting, and I said to myself, we got to be on this list somewhere, so I started clicking, and I kept clicking, and I kept clicking, and I'm here to tell you today, we can't say this in many respects about our lives here in this community, this area, but in this one we can say, we're number one. That's what it said. I got all the way to the list. We're number one. Yay. 
So I'm talking about this knowing how, how busy and how stressed and pressured many of us are. And so you may be finding yourself saying, well, I'm just too busy to serve. And if you do, I, don't, I know you have a commute. I know you work long hours, but this is the kingdom of God. And if you're saying you're too busy to serve, I have to ask you this question. Too busy doing what? Too busy doing what? I mean, what am I too busy doing that could keep me from one day hearing those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant? What is more important than that? Ask yourself that question. Find a place to serve. Find a place to serve. Now, if you're open to some opportunities with the rest of the time we have this morning, I want to give you some help in that regard, okay? See, some of you are here, and we have different things that our hearts beat about. Some of you actually have a heart for children, and there are so many opportunities for serving hundreds of children around here at Southlands. And I am so proud of how many of you have already done that. You serve in many different ways, but there's still room for more. I talked to Pastor Chris Thielen uh, this week, and he told me right now that, that our kids' space ministry could use six more teachers and about ten uh, people to do check-in and greeting and kind of some security. I don't know if you know this, but sometimes we need to make sure that the inmates don't try to escape. We have some kids that we call runners. <laughs> and so we need people to keep them from running sometimes. And uh, maybe that's you. Maybe you'd like to chase some kid down. I don't know. Uh, but God may be calling you to express your heart of love for little children and help them understand how much Jesus loves them and what he wants to do in their lives. And then there are some of you that you're, you're really skilled at connecting with young adolescents. And that is a fairly rare skill. Um, I, I read about a principal of a junior high who called junior hires pre-people. <laughs> and he talked about how there are certain challenges working with that part of the population. And some of you, you're good with pre-people. Some of you, the reason we know that you're good with pre-people is you kind of like them. You know, you, you get them. You're just, you're sort of like them. And maybe that's you. And Maybe you have a heart for them. And we have about 60 free people over there in the refinery, what we used to call the Sprung this morning. We have about 60 high schoolers as well. And I talked to Pastor Marco, and he said that right now our student ministry could use about 20 people. And it was interesting, he said, we could use some older brothers and sisters. In other words, maybe some people in their 20s who could serve as models. He said we could use some dads and moms. And he said we could use some grandparent types as well. And people who could maybe hang out during one service here on Sundays and help students stay focused. We also need some adults who can lead midweek small groups. We have one group in particular. It's for middle school boys. And I want to promise you, you will gain stars in your crown if you lead that group. <laughs> We have other groups for boys and girls, middle school, high school groups. We need some people who would be able to make a difference during that formative stage of life. Maybe God's speaking to you right now about that. Pastor Chris Martinez, talk to him. He's always looking for small group hosts, new hosts to start new groups. And he kind of totaled up some needs that we have. And he quickly got past about 50 people, 50 places for different people to serve. And it could be a small group facilitator. It could be someone opening up their home to host a, a small group. It's soon going to be called Life Groups. 
We especially need leaders for new groups in Mountain House, Lathrop, Manteca. There's so many places to serve. In that same kind of general category, some of you have been through something real difficult, and God has helped you through that, and you can give what you have received to help someone else. And maybe it's been that you've been through an addiction or some kind of a loss. You have a hurt or habit or a hang-up, and you could help some other people who are in a deep valley right now. And we have a great ministry every Friday night, 10 years now, called Celebrate Recovery. Maybe you can serve there. During the school year, we'll be kicking it back off again in a, in a couple of months. We have on Wednesday nights what we call Care Night, and we have various support groups that are, are meet during that time. We, we right now know that we need about 12 people to serve in those areas. Maybe God is calling you to get involved, and if he is, you should talk to Pastor Chris. Some of you have gifts to serve in the area of worship, and maybe you don't think you're good enough, but if you can play an instrument or you can sing maybe god is calling you should talk to pastor david we always need more tech and media people to serve who help us have the kind of services we want to have uh, here on sundays we need people gifted in design whether to do uh, graphics for some of our series or our announcements we need people periodically to help develop sets like the one you see behind us for for different seasons of our life why not make yourself available for that you know every sunday and i don't know if you notice that i'm looking around the room and i'm seeing a lot of the people i see the lanyards on uh, around their necks we have people in what we call guest services ministries a lot of people are involved in that and we've had great response in that area and we're so grateful for those people who serve in that way but once again we can always use more people willing to serve on our levite team our greeter team our info center team, our parking team. If you're one of those kind of people, that's where you should sign up. So. But if you don't even know what I'm talking about or you're interested, talk to Pastor Jay. We will find a place for you. Here, here's the thing. Whatever it is, give it a shot. Uh, you may not find the sweet spot of your service overnight, but keep praying, keep asking God for guides, and you will get there probably sooner than you think. You know, I thought about our church sometimes and just kind of dreamed. I've just kind of wondered what might happen if in this church, everyone who's a Christ follower, everyone climbed out of the lazy boy and started serving selflessly. I mean, do you have any idea? God has lavished gifts on our church, really, that are kind of scary. And I don't know what yours are, and I don't even know if they look big to you, but it doesn't really matter because the kingdom doesn't operate on that. If everyone here were serving, if all of us were discovering our gifts and developing our gifts and using our gifts with a humble spirit to make a difference in Tracy, Mountain House, Latham, all around the world, do you have any idea what might happen, what God might do? Here's the thing. There is nothing that can stop that except us. So if you're serving today, I hope that you are experiencing God's delight in really rich ways. If you're seeking today, then keep seeking. If you need healing, then feel released to find that here. But if you're following Jesus and you're not serving you're not giving your life away, 
then I just want to encourage you today, start serving. Start serving. Do it today. Don't delay. Would you bow your heads as we close?